from a few different parts of Scripture. We begin by reading in the Gospel according to Matthew, the very last chapter and the very last verse, verses of Matthew 28, beginning in verse 16. Today we, we begin looking at Lord's Day 25, which begins looking at the sacraments. And so we find in Matthew 28, beginning in verse 16, where the Lord Jesus ascends into heaven and He institutes, where baptism is to be a sacrament observed for all ages. So Matthew 28, beginning in verse 16. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them, In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. And now we go to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. This is where Apostle Paul relates to Corinth, where the Lord Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper. He is quoting um, from the Gospel of Luke, 1 Corinthians 11, beginning in verse 23 through 26. For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks... He brake it and said, Take, eat. This is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. And now we just go back one chapter to chapter 10. This is the portion we read last Lord's Day, but I'll be reading only chapter 10, verses 1 through 4 of 1 Corinthians. We, we focused on verse 16 last Lord's Day about the communion of the blood of Christ and the communion of the body of Christ. But I'll read verses 1 through 4 of chapter 10, 1 Corinthians. Moreover, brethren, I would not that ye should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea. And were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And did all eat the same spiritual meat. And did all drink the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them. And that rock was Christ. 
thus far. May God bless the reading of his own word and we sing together you to open God's word in 1 Corinthians 10. That is the passage we, we will be staying with primarily as we hope to consider this theme of the sacraments in general, both baptism and the Lord's Supper. As we have arrived, as I said, to Lord's Day 25, I'll be reading this shortly. Our theme in general is the in remembrance of me. This is what the Lord Jesus said that we are to have in our hearts and minds as we partake of the Lord's Supper, that we are to do it in remembrance of Him. In a summary, that's what all the sacraments are about. Baptism and the Lord's Supper. We are remembering the Lord Jesus. We are remembering the cross and the effects of the cross. What the cross does and how one is converted through the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross and how one is sustained by the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. We, we will look first at the figures of baptism and secondly at the figures of the Lord's Supper. And what, what I mean by figures is what we find in our text. I, I referred to them in briefly last Lord's Day when we looked at 1 Corinthians 10, but today we, we will focus upon them in verse 1 all the way to 4 of 1 Corinthians 10. And I'll, I'll read it again. Moreover, brethren, I would not that ye should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud. That's the first figure of baptism. And all passed through the sea. That's the second figure. And were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. So those are the figures of baptism. And then verse 3. And did all eat the same spiritual meat? That's the first figure of the Lord's Supper. And did all drink the same spiritual drink? For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. That's the second figure of the Lord's Supper. Now, there are other figures, not many others, um, but there are a few other figures. I won't put them into this sermon because I want to focus precisely on these very ones that we saw because they're connected. They're the ones that Paul are, is, is going to and showing the Corinthians um, that these sacraments were ordained of the Lord. Paul knows that he's going to arrive at chapter 11 where they have to understand that their observation of the Lord's Supper was severely lacking. They were sinning, and he will correct that. And that's where we read where the Lord Jesus is instituting the Lord's Supper. Um, and, and the first question I have here is where, where did the sacraments, where were the sacraments appointed of God? And that's why I read those first two passages. Um, regarding baptism, the Lord Jesus is ascending into heaven, and he left an instruction that everywhere we go as we instruct people, the things of the Lord, as we teach people to believe in Jesus, we are to baptize them. 
So this was to be a continuous thing. And it's what we see in the history of God's people in the, in the book of Acts as we have been going through Acts. This is what we see at Pentecost, even though it's 3,000 people who believe. You, you would think that, that, they, that there could be this dynamic that, you know, when it's too many people, we just can't do that. No, they baptize every single one of those 3,000 who believed. It becomes the symbol, the mark that a believer receives, the sign of baptism. And then we see this in in following the gospel will go to Samaria in in chapter 8. And those who believe will be baptized in Samaria. Then Philip goes to the Ethiopian eunuch and evangelizes him. He believes and in chapter 8, 36 of Acts, he is baptized. When Paul is converted... And he meets with Ananias. Ananias baptizes him. That's in Acts twenty-two sixteen. When Peter goes to Cornelius and his household, um, they all believe and are baptized. Acts ten. And then Paul he goes to Philippi. Remember, and he ministers to Lydia, and her whole household is baptized. And that's where we envision that whatever age were those of that household, Lydia believed. And so the whole household is now part of the community of believers. Paul is in prison with Silas. You, you remember what happened? There is the earthquake at the end of that evening. That jailer, having washed the wounds of Paul and Silas, Paul and Silas washes the jailer. He baptizes the jailer and his whole household um, and so baptism, it's, it's clearly an ordinance. It, it is not something that is voluntary. It is not something optional. And in the Lord's Supper, we understand this too. It was at the very supper that the Lord Jesus made it clear that that was to be observed. And then we find Paul with the authority of an apostle. He sees the error in Corinth. And when he corrects that error, he brings the passage that we read. When he even says, For I have received of the Lord that which also I deliver unto thee. And, and he explains to the Corinthians that they need to observe the Lord's Supper in a certain way, in a right way. They needed to have more reverence to the Lord and more love for God's people. And so in instructing, we, we understand this. The Lord's Supper then, is, it's not an optional thing. It is not just something that's good for the church. So if you want to, you can do it. No, it's an ordinance. It is a sacrament. But none of those were unique completely to the New Testament church. And, and this is what we're hoping to consider today. There's this blessed reality that, that the Old Testament church had a prefiguring of baptism and the Lord's Supper. It looked differently. It, it had a lot to do with their history. It had to do with their day-to-day. But it was communicating to them what the elements of the water and bread and wine communicate to us. And when they had those emblems, they were supposed to look forward to the promises. And when we have our emblems, we are supposed to look backwards to see that it was Jesus who came and fulfilled them, but also forward. So just as they were looking forward, we look forward as well. And the only reason we look backward, it's because 2,000 years ago, is when what they were looking forward to 
was fulfilled, which was the coming and the dying and the resurrecting of the Messiah. And so, in essence, what we have is we, we, we get to share a little something of what an Old Testament believer shared in. They had figures. They had things to look at. And God has given us figures and things to look at. They had more figures and more things to look at because they needed more help because there were things far and far away. And it was a way of God sustaining them and blessing them. When, when you think of those lambs that they would bring to sacrifice, that was very near to their existence. And some of them would come back with blood in their hands. And, and it was being communicated to them, the Messiah will be a victim who will die for me. And it was so real, they saw it, they could smell it. It was often from their own little flock. So those are symbols that were very powerful. Now, for us, we can have the stories. We don't need the lambs because we have Jesus. But when we think of the Lord's Supper, the wine and the bread and the water of baptism, it's like we're given a little something of how to be an Old Testament believer. It's like the Lord is sitting down with us and treating with us as He treated His people in those days. And if you are a little bit like me, there's, there's somehow something of a nostalgia. We study those stories as little children. We grow up, and in our minds, we, we almost wish we could have lived in those days. And we could have seen the sea parted, or can you imagine to see that fire coming down to the altar and burning everything, and, and Elijah coming off victorious God wants us to look at His Word and see it with preciousness. But also He he wants us to be full of joy that we're here and not there. Because, of course, it's God's providence, first of all. But also because there's a very great privilege to be in a time in history where we are receptacles of, of all of that truth and we see proofs of the fulfillment And we are to then proclaim to the whole world, these things are true. This God is true to His Word. Look at what He's promised, and look how it was fulfilled. And this is why we live our Christian life the way we do. It's because God has worked in our hearts. He has powerfully transformed us. I I don't do this because I'm forced to do this. I do this because He has changed my heart. And the things he has said are true. They are precious. And and these blessings are are to be had for all who believe. And so let us look at the figures of baptism. And secondly, we'll look at the figures of the Lord's Supper. Looking at baptism first, because in in 1 Corinthians 10, um, we read in verse 1, I would not that you would be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea. And then he says, And were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. You you can't separate those two. I, I can start with the cloud, but I'll immediately have to speak about the sea. Because the cloud, it did appear in different times, and it did appear later. Um, When they were in the wilderness, the cloud was what was during the day, and it turned into a pillar of light at night. 
but it's specifically the cloud connected with the parting of the sea where we see the emblem of baptism very specifically here because it worked together. It worked in a way of saving God's people. And this is where our minds can be transported now to that very time. And can you imagine being one of those um, thousands and thousands of people? Um, and in your surroundings, you, you are realizing that things are not looking the best. Because not only are you tired from having walked and carried things and helped conduct flocks or helped carrying little babies. And, and if you're the very little baby, you are, of course, so distressed to be in this, in this trip that is so, so hard. It is a wilderness of sorts. And you arrive at a place where it's surrounded by mountains. And then in the other place, it would be garrison cities that would be fortified. That, yes, to a degree, you were granted free access. But you also see that there's a cloud arising in the horizon. And it's getting closer and closer. It is the cloud of dust of Pharaoh with his army because he has turned away from allowing the people to go and he's coming for battle. And in front of you is a sea. In some of the closest places of the Red Sea where, um, of course, in a map you can see the other side. But if you were on the shore, you could hardly see the other side. In a few places, you see a few things if they're high enough. So as far as your eye can see, it is water. And this is where the cloud and the sea come in together so powerfully. Because our, our mind gravitates to the sea and we know that God then ordered that miracle of parting the sea but you still had to walk through it and the army was arriving closer and closer see in God's providence he could have kept that army so far away let them pass the sea yes even cover the army but not bring so much of so much of a threat but as you read the passage you 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 gather gather the reality that that they could see the cloud of the enemy and of the oppressor and they could see the sea right before them and they there wouldn't be any time if they were to swim that would be absolutely impossible and even if it were the part and then walking through it, it would still not be enough to arrive at the other side. And so this is where the cloud comes in as a savior because it stops being over the people and it comes right between the people and the army. And it says that all through the night it was there and the army could not dare go through that cloud. It was darkness for them and it was giving some kind of light for God's people. It is just such an amazing symbol of God's favor to his people while he is acting in a very judging way upon anyone who would dare touch his people. It is a symbol of favor. It is a symbol of protection. It is God showing his love and God showing his mercy. And so that cloud is what made it possible for God's people to arrive far enough on the other side. And then Pharaoh did dare go because, see, that cloud followed God's people. And as it followed God's people, it gave leeway for Pharaoh and his army to keep approaching. But they were, of course, only going into a trap. A trap because of their own unbelief. And a trap because of 
Pharaoh's own hardened heart. At any given moment, he could have said, I repent, the God of Israel is the true God. And I will not dare follow this group of people any longer, and certainly not into this place. But he was blinded to that danger. And he went. And we know the story. The people arrive on the other side safely. And that cloud only goes away to reveal that the waves are coming over upon that army that pursued God's people. So the cloud was a salvation. And the parted sea was a salvation. But it was a salvation for God's people while it was a destruction for God's enemies, the enemies of God's people. Now, now let's look at how these emblems, how, how this having happened to God's people was an emblem of baptism. And so we see here it says that they were baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. So see, as those little children are going through all of that, all, all the adults and all the fathers and mothers, the elderly, there, there was a baptism of sorts happening. A baptism. They were passing through the waters. They were under the cloud. The reason it says baptized unto Moses is because Moses was their mediator. He, he himself was a figure. He was a figure of Christ. We are baptized in Jesus' name, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Moses was their mediator. He, he was a figure of Jesus to them. So to say they were baptized into Moses, is we have to understand this figuratively. It, it was Moses because he was their mediator. And it was pointing to the, to the baptism to come. And this is what you and I have to think of when we have our baptism here, beloved. You should have a sense of privilege and a sense of joy because we have a symbol that is closer to the realities of what it was pointing to. And other than the reality that it's a lot safer looking and a lot more comforting to see some water upon our children or upon adults than to be passing through a a dangerous red sea and a cloud behind you and and all of the fears that can come upon your heart regarding that. But that was their baptism. And we have ours. They had a prefigured baptism. It was pointing to the one who would save them, who would redeem them from the bondage of sin, who would be the Lord Jesus Christ. We have the waters of baptism that point us to Jesus, who having died, washes away our sins and redeems us from being dead in sin. Let's look at different ways where we see the the parallels and the emblems of a prefigured baptism. See, in, in passing through that Red Sea, even though, of course, they, they weren't going through the water, literally, and they weren't going, in a sense, through, through that cloud. They were under the cloud. They were between the waves. But they were being cleansed in a symbolic way. It's, it's interesting that even in that baptism, as physical as it was, there was something um, only symbolic about it. Their, their cleansing and their washing wasn't by going into the water and out. It was by going through dry ground. And the waters beside. Because it wasn't that water that would cleanse them of any sins. And, and so 
even they had what we have. We have this water and we, and we baptize people with, but we're always announcing and always making clear because our minds can gravitate in the wrong way and we start idolizing that water. There are people who literally see baptism as, you need that water thinking it will cleanse me in a spiritual way. No, that water is only symbolic. And even that water was only symbolic. They were being baptized into that water. Maybe there was some sprinkling from, from the waves up above them. But you see, that, that's not really a cleansing of sorts. There was something symbolic about that baptism as there is about ours. They were being protected by that cloud and by the parted waters. And you can think of baptism also as what protects us also because we're reminded of our forgiveness in Christ. It is not this little water that will protect me, but this is reminding me of Jesus. It is there that my sins were washed away. Jesus having died, he, he parted, as it were, the, the waters of death. And I, I will go through dry ground and not through death itself. It will never swallow a believer. Death will never have the last word. It doesn't have any more stings. Because of the death of Christ. And then also we could think of the cloud and the parted waters. They, they were causing God's people to come to Him. See, they, they were going through those, that situation to, to arrive on the other side as God's people, cleansed in a symbolic way through, through this baptism. And what was happening was a dividing line. See, they were receiving the sign of baptism and they were arriving on the other side as God's people. Soon they would receive the law and they would be taught on their way to the, select, to the promised land um, what, how to live as a true believer. So they were going unto the Lord and, and, that, and that sea divided a, land, a, a line. People who reject Christ who reject the promised Messiah, who reject Jehovah, they are proclaiming that they are not God's people and ultimately there will be judgment upon them. There will be death eternal. And beloved, think of the solemnity then. Here we have baptism. And let's say there's a visitor that comes to our church. He's never been baptized, 40 years old, and, and confesses Christ and comes. And, and alongside a family that will have a little baby that's being baptized. And that family is proclaiming, this baby's not mine. It belongs to the Lord. He gave it to me. It's, this baby is his. And here's the 40-year-old saying, I'm not mine anymore. I'm the Lord's. He saved me. They both receive the sign of baptism. What is being proclaimed is that they, they are now on the road to the celestial city. They, they are in the wilderness of this world, but going to the promised land. And they are God's people. And all who would be sitting, let's say another visitor came to our church around the same time, still hearing the gospel. He's 30 years old and does not receive Christ and not interested in baptism. You see, a line is being marked. That soul is saying, I don't want Christ. Even if he's saying, I don't want him yet, he's still saying, I don't want him. And the one who receives the sign is saying, I want him. 
And there can be a family out there somewhere. A baby is born. Maybe the father and mother lived in days where they went to church. Maybe it goes through their mind. Maybe we should go to church and baptize our baby. But they're just far and away from the Lord. And they're not giving that sign to their baby. And they're not living like they belong to the Lord. See, a line is marked. That little baby here receiving that sign, there's a mark. He, this family, along with this other Christian and every other baptized believer, we are saying we are together going to heaven and we want to live in this world as citizens of heaven because there's a mark upon us and we're declaring this but those who don't want to go to church and who refrain from the sign of baptism and everything else regarding the life of the church they are literally saying I don't want anything to do with that they're identifying with Pharaoh and his army while this family and those who are baptized are identifying with God's people It was very marked in that day because the cloud was the dividing line. Anybody behind the cloud was sentenced to death. And everybody in front, they were going to life. But beloved, the same reality is with baptism. Now even as I say this, you you understand and I understand, not every single person ahead of the cloud was a true believer. And they made that clear as they came on the other side. They were the grumblers. Many of them were the ones who who received judgment on the other side. But they were of the visible church. That reality is even with us still. There might be one who is baptized, receives a sign, but isn't truly saved. Because the emblems do not truly save. Just like the passing of the sea, it saved them physically, but those who were not true believers still needed to be converted. And this is why as our babies are baptized, our infants, we train them, we teach them that they need the Lord Jesus. That that sign that they received would be fulfilled in their hearts by true faith in Christ. It's exactly the same. All of Israel was saved, but we continue reading the story and we see that not all of them were saved. They were saved physically, but not saved spiritually. There were many troublemakers who went out on the other side who did not love the Lord. And the same sad thing happens in the church today. Many people receive the signs of the covenant. They even come to the Lord's table, but they really do not know the Lord. And this is why we continue preaching and pointing people to look to the Lord Jesus, where all these emblems are pointing to. And so... um, one, one note of mercy, and we, we speak of this parting of the waters and the passing of the sea and that line that is mark, marked, it's, it's very sad. It, it's, I'm always so saddened by the reality that this Pharaoh never became reasonable and acknowledged how, how blind he was. He drowned his whole army. But it's important to see the mercy of God. The mercy of God, even in all of those, um, even in all of those days, and in, in, in that whole narrative, it was hundreds of years that Israel was in Egypt. I don't doubt that there were many Egyptians who came to fear the God of Israel, and who maybe put blood on the doorposts of their homes, and who were saved. Um, But the majority, of course, we understand, and the army of Pharaoh didn't. 
But it was hundreds of years of witnessing. And then there were ten active phases of plagues where that Pharaoh, especially the Pharaoh and his nobility, they, they had the prime seats to the preaching of Moses and Aaron. They could summon those preachers any time, day or night. And they did it in several occasions. They could have asked who this God was. They could have asked if, if He did these things so far. Will He receive an Egyptian who has all these other gods? And, and, and what should I do with all these other gods because I see that your God is greater? You could think any person in their right minds would have done this. They had the preachers. They had the proofs. They had the power. They had the repetition. They had the miracles. They had the clarity. But they had a hard heart. God's judgment was severe, but His mercy, His love, His grace was plentiful. It was extended to Pharaoh and all his nobles. But at the end of the day, they rejected it. And so judgment came. And it's the same thing also to us, isn't it, beloved? The gospel goes forth. We proclaim Christ. You may be evangelizing a friend, a child, a husband, a wife, an uncle, a neighbor. And you pray that their hearts would be warm, that God would open their hearts. We, we see in God's word how truly we do not have the power, no matter how well we present the gospel, we need God to open hearts. But we have these stories, and we have these miracles, and we need to share them. And wait upon the Lord for, for the opening and the breaking of hearts, and showing to our loved ones that God's mercy is being offered and being extended. So the cloud and the sea are the um, pictures of baptism that the church in the Old Testament had. And now we have the water. And that's the picture of baptism for New Testament today. When I mentioned other figures, we could speak of circumcision. That was something physical they received, but it became an emblem as well. And it's Exactly that, that baptism took its place. And then, I was thinking of putting in this message, but it would would become too long. But we could look at the flood. Maybe in a future sermon that we're talking about the sacraments, we could talk about Noah's Ark and the flood. Um, I just want to mention this. You know how in the Lord's Supper, when we have, during baptism, when we have the prayer, the prayer makes reference to the flood and how there was a symbol, as it were, of baptism when Noah was in the ark while the rest of the world was judged. Why does that prayer have that? Well, it's because of 1 Peter 3, where Peter, as an apostle, makes that connection. And and it's, it's a beautiful figure in and of itself. It's similar in many ways of the cloud and the Red Sea. There's an element that saves them and protects them, the cloud, and they're passing through the waters. And in Noah's ark, there is the ark that is saving them while they are floating over the waters. And in both situations, there is judgment to those who don't believe, who don't enter the ark, who don't repent and either stay on the shore or plead God's mercy that they could be maybe ahead 
have gone earlier with God's people. So those are the figures of baptism. And they, they are rich. And even though, and, 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 and we should be thankful that um, those are not our symbols today. Even, even for God's people in the Old Testament, they were a one-time symbol that was not repeated. So thousands and thousands and millions of Jews were not in those instances. And so to them it was only a remembrance, as, as it is to us. But thankfully we have baptism that we can repeat um, as new souls receive the sign. But let's look at the figures of the Lord's Supper. And this is as we continue the passage. In verse 3 it says, And did all eat the same spiritual meat, and then did all drink the same spiritual drink? So we have food, and we have a drink. We have a bread, which is manna that is being referenced to. And here we, we have a drink that is water. It is not wine. But is, it is clear that what, what Paul is meaning when he writes this is that as the people came out on the other side, God gave them two more figures. And those two figures went together. The cloud and the sea went together. And now the manna and the water will go together. Let's talk about the manna and then the water. Well, the manna, it it is interesting how Paul calls it. He says it was a spiritual meat. It was physical and at the same time spiritual. Because it was a miracle every single day that they went and they found this little manna that they harvested. It was literally bread from heaven. It is called that elsewhere. Um, and yet it was physical. It was to maintain their bodies. It, it had protein. It had carbohydrates in it. I want to read a little something regarding um, manna. It is in chapter 11 of Numbers that we find um, God's word describing a little bit of the culture reality about the manna coming and what it looked like and how they could prepare it. Um, Numbers 11, verses 7 through 9. And this is because they were complaining about the manna, because that's all they had. And so then God inspires Moses to give us a little something about that manna that we can't see, but we know it came. Verse 7 of Numbers 11. And the manna was as coriander seed. So we have here what it would have looked like. Tiny little seeds, little balls, And the color thereof as the color of delium, which is brownish. And the people went about and gathered it, so they harvested it, and ground it in mills. It could be ground like flour. Or beat it in a mortar, and we know how to do that too with food. And baked it in pans and made cakes out of it. So by now it makes us think it could be something that would look like like a bread of sorts, like a pancake. And the taste of it was as the taste of fresh oil. And you can think then of when you put olive oil on something and that nice aroma. And when the dew fell upon the camp in the night, the manna fell upon it. This is a very precious passage. It's describing its size. It's describing its color, how it could be prepared. You had at least a little tiny variety. You could have it one day um, by grinding it, the next day by beating it, and then you could bake it. You could probably fry it. But of course, the taste wouldn't change too much. It could be more salty or less salty. 
you can understand how in the human frame they could grow tired of it. The key would always be to remember, what would we be if we didn't have it? We would die. It is always important that we understand, for us to be content with things, we need to understand what our reality is. They would die without manna. And it fell, and we understand how it shows up. There would be that morning dew, and it would kind of show up. It was literally miraculous appearing of manna every single day minus the Saturday. And you remember there was something miraculous there too. They were supposed to collect enough on Friday that would be for Friday and Saturday. When you did that, manna would keep overnight. But if it was Monday and you got more manna than what you needed and stored it for Tuesday, then it would rotten. It would go, it would spoil. So they were being taught that they needed to trust the Lord with the daily provisions of bread. Now, the Lord Jesus, when he came to earth, after he did that miracle of feeding more than 5,000 people, you could know that already in the minds of the people they were remembering manna. We know that they were because the next day when the Lord Jesus challenges them that what they need is to believe in him, that that is the work that they should do, remember they are the ones who gave him the idea of manna. They were basically suggesting, why don't you do something like that? And then the Lord Jesus corrects them because they did say, well, Moses gave manna to the people. They were basically saying, if you were to do something like that, and we saw you like a Moses, and every single day we saw manna back to us, well, then we would acknowledge you're the Messiah. We would acknowledge you're the one we should trust. They suggested, why don't you bring back manna to us? And the Lord Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, this is John six thirty two. Moses gave you not that bread from heaven. He's just correcting very subtly there because he's saying it was God who did it, not, not really Moses. So that's important for you to understand. But my Father giveth you the true bread from heaven. And notice what he's saying. It was, it was God and he's my Father. He, he's the one who gave that manna. And the miracle that you want, he has done greater no, you don't see little manna to, to collect. And, and you could almost imagine how he's wanting the people to also understand. You want manna, but your very ancestors were very sad that it was just manna. They got even to the point of calling it this light thing. You don't have manna. If you had it, maybe you would complain before too long. But the, my Father giveth you the true bread from heaven. Singular. One bread. Then verse 33, for the bread of God, he calls it the bread of God, it's himself. The bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. See, what Jesus is saying is that that manna in the old days, it was a prefiguring of Christ. You're receiving daily bread. You will receive the Messiah and he will be bread. You have life in this little manna, but it's only temporary. You will have life in the Messiah and it will be eternal. The life that you will receive in Jesus will be a life that will never die. 
So these are the parallels when we think of manna and when we think of Jesus. And then always remember, well, our Lord's Supper has the bread, and that is our, our bread that is, in a sense, kin to that manna. Manna came from heaven. Jesus came from heaven. All who partook of that manna lived. All who partake of Christ live. The physical manna only provided temporal life. The Lord Jesus provides eternal life. So manna was a figure of Christ to them. And the Lord's Supper's bread is a figure of Christ to us. That's the manna. But let me go to the rock. The verse has it, right? As soon as he speaks of the spiritual meat, he says, And did all drink the same spiritual drink? And here, um, Paul wants to make it very clear. This is wonderful when we find this in Scripture. No one can accuse a pastor or someone to say that we're seeing things where, where they aren't there. There are a lot of people who want to see types of Christ in places that perhaps it's not even meant to be that. But this is very clearly a type of Christ, that rock. That water that flowed from the rock is the life that flows from Christ. So that rock, and he says that followed them, that rock was Christ. You're not to envision that that rock was moving, but it's because that rock is seen in, in different places. It could have even be perhaps when they arrive somewhere else and it's, it's really another rock, but it's still the rock that is an emblem and a picture of Christ. Well, let's talk about water now. Um, and, and this is what's amazing, is the emblem that we just saw of the cloud and the parting of the seas, as soon as they come on the other side, remember not too long ago we were in Exodus and we saw there is a whole chapter on rejoicing. Moses has a song. Miriam and the women are so rejoicing. They are praising God. They go on their trek into the wilderness and there's no water. And when they find it, it was bitter. That's Exodus 15. Mara was called the place because Mara means bitterness. The people complained, they murmured, but God showed him a tree. He cut it, he threw it into the water, it turned sweet. So there was God providing water to his people. They go on a little trek, not too far from there. They arrive in a place called Elam where there were 12 wells of water. You can imagine the sight of joy to see those 12 wells where they drew water. And you can see how, how beautiful it would be in the heart of a Jewish person living in those places to hear Isaiah say that we will draw um, from the wells of salvation, draw water from the wells of salvation as we saw this morning. But then in chapter 17 of Exodus, and I, and I want to read there too, chapter 17 Verse 1, we read this. And all the congregation of the children of Israel journeyed from the wilderness of sin after their journeys, according to the commandment of the Lord, and pitched in Rephidim, and there was no water for the people to drink. Exodus 17. Verse 2 says, Wherefore the people did chide with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. And Moses said unto them, Why chide ye with me? Wherefore do ye tempt the Lord? And the people thirsted there for water. And the people murmured against Moses and said, Wherefore is this that thou hast brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our cattle with thirst? 
You know, the way we should understand this is this. If, if the people had faith, what they should have done is let us have prayer meetings one after another. We need to plead because the same God who parted the sea and who gave us water that was bitter but turned sweet and who gave us those 12 wells, He can bring water from wherever He wants. It is not Moses' fault. Let us not complain to Him. There is no use of complaining to God. We're just going to add to our sins and in His anger He might kill us like He did the, the, the Pharaoh's army. Let us pray. Beloved, let us always remember this. As soon as a complaint comes out of our lips, let us remember, I need to pray. Complaining will do nothing. It's just going to add to my sin. It will only add to my worry. But I can go to God and say, Lord, I'm thirsty. I need help. My, my children are thirsty. Even, even if it's in a dire situation, you can say, Lord, my children are dying. We are dying. We are thirsty. We need thy help. Please, please bring water. Well, and Moses cried unto the Lord. See, that's what Moses does. He, pre, he pleads, What shall I do, verse 4, unto this people? They, they be almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go on before the people, and take with thee of the elders of Israel, and thy rod, wherewith thou smotest the river, take in thine hand, and go. Behold, I will stand before thee there upon the rock in Horeb, and thou shalt smite the rock, and there shall come water out of it, that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah because of the chiding of the children of Israel and because they tempted the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? And the water flowed. And they had water to drink. And we hear in 1 Corinthians 10, 4, The water was Christ. That, that's a metaphor. Um, a simile is when you say the, the, the rock I said the water, right? The rock was Christ. When you say the rock was like Christ, that's a simile. A metaphor is more powerful. It is like what Paul says, the rock was Christ. And you're not supposed to understand that in a, in a literal sense, but in, it's literal in the sense that it was a literal figure of Christ. As water flowed out of that rock and gave them life, the blood of Christ flowed out of, the out of Jesus and will give you life if you believe in Him. Now here are all the parallels. Um, all who partook of that water lived. And all who partake of Christ live. The water from that rock gave temporal life the blood from the Lord Jesus gives eternal life. That, that physical water only provided life for a little while, but the blood of Jesus provides life forever and ever. They had that rock from which water flowed. We have the Lord Jesus from which His blood flowed. And we have that in the wine. When we drink that wine, we are being reminded the blood of Jesus flowed. It will give me life. 
Why all these figures? Just in the conclusion now. Why all these symbols? Why all these historical narratives? You see how they're connected to history? When people, we, we come to the Lord's Supper, we're not harvesting anything, we're not running away from any thief, we're, from any pharaoh. We're, we're not that we're so thirsty and hungry that we come to the Lord's table physically thinking. But you see there, the spiritual needs, we should be, we should be thirsty and hungry spiritually. But you look at God's people in those days, it, it, they were sweating as they were partaking of the pre-emblems um, of baptism and the Lord's Supper. Before we, we see in conclusion the, the reason for these symbols and the couple lessons that we can draw from here, I want to read now um, in Lord's Day 25, question 66. This is page 54. We read the first one connected to last Lord's Day of where faith comes from. It comes from the Holy Spirit. But then question 66, page 54, asks, what are the sacraments? We've been talking about both of them. What are they? The sacraments are holy, visible signs and seals appointed of God for this end, that by the use thereof we may the more fully declare and seal to us the promise of the gospel, namely, that He grants us freely the remission of sin and life eternal for the sake of that one sacrifice of Christ accomplished on the cross. See, they always point to Jesus. The next question, Are both word and sacraments then ordained and appointed for this end, that they may direct our faith to the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross as the only ground of our salvation? Yes, indeed. For the Holy Ghost teaches us in the gospel and assures us by the sacraments that the whole of our salvation depends upon that one sacrifice of Christ which He offered for us on the cross. See, again, the the sacraments and the Word are always pointing us to the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus and what He did there on the cross for us. How many sacraments has Christ instituted in the New Covenant or Testament? Two, namely Holy Baptism and the Holy Supper. And it's emphatic to see that this is exactly what Paul is saying when he says that they were under the cloud and passed through the sea. And then he says that they were baptized into Moses and did eat the same spiritual meat and did drink the same spiritual drink. See, all of these things were to them as as signs. They were these symbols that they could touch, that they could feel, that they could look at and say, if I don't eat this manna, I die. If I don't drink this water from the rock, I'm dead. So let's now, in conclusion, see three main conclusions. In the last one, I have a couple things to say. So three things first. Why all these figures? Well, because God is like a father, and he wants you to learn. Isn't that what a father and a mother does when you want your children to learn? Don't you take a book with many pictures, and you read it to your son or to your daughter? And you explain what the pictures mean. You, you read the story and they look at the pictures and they can understand what's happening. This is exactly what God is doing to us. What He's done to His people in the Old Testament. What He does to us today. He's saying, I want you to learn this. 
I want you to learn that the gift that I am giving of my son, he will save you. Just as that cloud in the parting of the water saved my people, just as this water is symbolizing your sins forgiven, that is what will save you. And it is found in Christ when my son died on the cross. The Father wants you to know and to learn that He is powerful to save and that He is willing to save. The only ones He doesn't save are those who say, I will stay on the other side of the cloud. I will not pick up the manna to eat. I don't believe it will give me life. I see everybody rushing to that water, but how will I drink from a water from a rock? What if it's poisonous? I, I won't believe that is water for me. See, lack of faith is the, the, the line of demarcation that keeps you away from Jesus. And the Father wants you to know He's willing to save. So He tells Moses to strike the rock and that water flows. You see what God is saying? Drink ye all of it freely. Did anyone have to come with money to buy that water? No, it was for free. And everyone who believed that was water drank it. God wants you and I to understand this. When these, when these emblems are set forth, that's why I always say when the Lord's Supper is set and, and the baptism, no one should take the sign of baptism if they don't believe in Jesus. And you can't sit around the table if you don't believe in Jesus. But these are not saying stay away from Jesus. They are inviting you to Jesus. The table is set and you're being invited to come. But you have to come by faith in Christ. In examining your own heart, it is not saying, keep away, there is no place for you at this table. No, it is saying, come. Come, only be ready, come the right way. God is willing to save. That's what all these emblems, all these pictures, it's like God comes to his shelf and sits and says, look, here are more pictures, my son. Here are more pictures, my girl. Do you need more pictures to understand how much I love you and how much I want to save you? And then, a second thing, is that we are like little children who need pictures and who need illustrations. Not just little bitty children, but big children as well. Even in our 80s and 90s, we still need pictures. And the proof of it is, okay, we, we don't have the cloud and we don't have the parting of the sea and we don't have manna or water from the rock, but we do have the water of baptism. I touch it. Our children receive it. All of us have received that sign who, who have professed and who have presented your children. We come around the table and we touch a cup with wine that is true and visible and it tastes and bread as well. We are like children. God is saying, you're my little children who need these storybooks with a lot of pictures. And I've, I've given you three. Even to his people, there was a limited amount and to us, it's three because he's saying, now that my son has come, you have grown a little. You're more like, in your t you're more like 10 and 11 years old. We're, we're still not very big children because until we're 80 and 90, we're still needing pictures. But we're a little more mature. So we don't need clouds and we don't need seeds falling on the ground, manna, and we, we don't need water from the rock. God, God is basically saying, you've grown. 
and you can believe in me with less pictures. And then thirdly, all these pictures are ultimately to help us understand Jesus better. They're to help us understand the things of God better. Especially, like his whole life, but culminating with his death on the cross. We are to see Jesus as that rock. And while he is there on the cross, God strikes him, as it were, with a rod. And out flows not water, but blood, because his life is given. And everyone who catches a glimpse of that through your sight, if you were there in those days, or through your faith, as you hear these very words, and you say, I believe that that blood flowing from Christ is enough to pardon all my sins and give me life unto eternity. Beloved, you'll be better off than those Israelites who even drank that water and ate that manna, but continued without faith and died in the wilderness. They're not in heaven today if they didn't believe the promised Messiah. So we should never say, oh, it was much better to be a Christian in those days because you, you could see so many things. No, it, it, don't think that way. It is always better to live on the other side of the promises fulfilled. These emblems, these pictures are to help you understand Jesus better. And then in the wine and in the bread, we are understanding that Jesus gave his life. His body suffered. That's emblematic in the bread broken. That's, that's in essence why we very literally have the bread broken in the sight of everyone who partakes. There's, there's a reason for that. We could bring it all cut in pieces, but you wouldn't experience the breaking of the bread. And, 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 I, and I share this from time to time, the very fact that there are crumbs here and there. That, that is emblematic of the reality of the sacrifice of Christ. His, his body was broken on the tree. He suffered. And we are seeing that in the Lord's Supper. And then His blood being poured. And then finally, putting all this together. Just in closing, putting all this together. Because notice, there was a cloud and there was a sea. They arrive on the other side. They needed manna and they needed water. They were all connected, right? And so baptism is connected to the Lord's Supper. And notice how beautifully they are connected. They didn't keep going to the other side and crossing the Red Sea. That, that wasn't an ordinance they kept repeating, neither did they want to. It was a one-time event. Once they were in the wilderness, manna was a continuous event. And this is exactly what we experience. We don't go getting baptized again and again. It's a one-time event. And it leads to the Lord's Supper. And that is a continuous event. If a soul were to say, can I be baptized again? When I was baptized, I don't remember. I don't know if I was saved or not. I know I was an infant. I didn't experience it. I, wanna, I want to be baptized again now that I'm 20 years old. And that goes against the very grain, the very significance of the emblem of baptism. 
and what it means. Because it would be like a soul saying, you know, I, I, I did receive the sign that showed that Christ dying on the cross was sufficient to forgive all my sins. But I, I just want to experience that again. It's basically saying, I'm not so sure if his dying on the cross really did forgive me of all my sins. No, it's, it's emphatic that we don't repeat that sacrament because we are saying once you have Christ as your Savior, that death on the cross was once and for all. You don't need to keep repeating that. But then once you are a believer and you've been baptized, why do we keep taking the Lord's Supper again and again? And there you have the opposite. It is meant to be repeated. And the person who says, I don't need to do it, They are literally saying, okay, I was saved by his blood, but I don't need to continue being saved by his blood. I can now save myself from here. You see, the soul that is saying, I don't need the Lord's Supper so often. I don't don't need to keep repeating the Lord's Supper. And, And maybe even emphatically does not want to partake. He is literally saying, I will just feed myself. I have my own hidden manna somewhere. The Lord's Supper was meant to be repeated because it is like food to our souls, just like manna had to keep coming or else they would die. And the way we could see it is that baptism is like justification and the Lord's Supper is communicating sanctification. One, how we are converted. The other, how we stay saved and are sustained by the blood of the Lord Jesus. And we are confessing. I I do not live now as a Christian on my own strength. I need the bread from heaven, even the Lord Jesus. May God bless as we focused upon these emblems that we, as we would partake in the future, baptism or the Lord's Supper, it would be precious to your heart that we have these figures that Jesus wants us to learn and that we are His. And if you aren't, that you would then look to Jesus. It is all focusing upon him and his death for sinners. Let us pray. Our gracious and glorious God, we thank thee, Lord, for having given thy people of old and even to us the cloud and the parted waters and the manna and the water from the rock, for giving them the rock Lord, we thank Thee that they all pointed to Christ, even as the bread and wine and water of baptism and the Lord's Supper all point to Jesus. Forgive us, Lord, for all our sins. We pray, Lord, that Thou would open the heart of those who have never looked to Thee by the way of faith, that they would see, Lord, that these emblems were these Sacraments will now feed their faith. If they were baptized as a baby, they don't need to repeat that. It will have been fulfilled now that they are saved, if they are. But by partaking of the Lord's Supper, they'll continue their confession that they need their daily spiritual bread, who is Christ, the bread of heaven that gives eternal life. We thank Thee for Jesus and for these sacraments that point us to Him. In His name we pray. Amen.